Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat sermon by Rabbi Adam Kligfeld. MTV and Mary Poppins and of course the Parsha, or at least the first of our two parashot today by Akel. This little drash will try to incorporate everything on that little list. But first, one of the worst arguments I had with my mother as an adolescent. It is certainly the one that I remember most clearly, mostly because of how darn certain I was then, and still am now, that I was in the right. One morning, perhaps in eighth grade, I was about ready to walk out the door to meet the carpool to get to school. And apparently, I hadn't eaten breakfast that day. Why? Don't know. Maybe I just wasn't feeling hungry. It was not a conscious act of rebellion, but rather a reflection of my sense of just having enough food in my belly. Who is to say otherwise? Even one's mother. Now, yes, all parents have an urge to feed and nourish their children. And best practices, most nutritionists would agree, is to start the day with a filling, healthy breakfast. But then, and in some ways to this day, I just don't often experience hunger or even, even appetite first thing in the morning. My mother was incensed. Her voice got angrier and shriller than I could remember. How dare I walk out without breakfast? Maybe Freud would interpret it deeper. How dare I reject her sustaining love represented by Cheerios and 1% milk? But in the moment, the kerfuffle seemed to be totally on the surface. She wanted me to eat. I refused. She got livid. I resisted. I went to school with my belly feeling full, but my heart empty. And we've made up, and we can laugh about this now, and I even sent her a draft of this before Shabbat. She might even be listening. Hi, Ima. At the core, I was defiant in my feeling that no one ought to be able to tell me, or anyone for that matter, how hungry I am. Unless we're talking about malnourishment or calories required for certain medications, hunger is an exceedingly subjective reality. This is a cousin to the notion of parents insisting their children wear jackets or sweatshirts because they believe their children are cold. Those parents might also, probably erroneously, believe that if their children feel cold, they will catch cold. We now know that that generally isn't how someone gets sick, but I think it informs some parents' stubbornness on this issue. The parent says, put on a jacket. The kid says, I don't feel cold. The parent says, yes, you do. Or, I don't care, put it on. There's something inane and charming about this very common exchange. You don't get to tell me that I feel cold. You really don't. And you don't get to tell me that I feel hungry. That's all on me. That's all in me. Whether or not someone has enough of just about anything, I think, is entirely determined by that person's sense of it. No one else should really be able to author even an opinion on it. 
I began thinking of this issue this week when having a chat with a Beth Am member who is a parent of adult educa- uh, children. This parent expressed concern that one of those children was not searching after happiness enough. Now, this child was content, too content, in fact, too content subjectively for what this parent considered to be a lack of contentedness objectively. The congregant asked me what I thought. How could I advise this person on how to induce this child to pursue more happiness, more joy, more thrill? Now, mind you, this was not about a child struggling with sadness or depression. The opposite. This child was, or at least presented as, totally sated, living with a sense of enough. But still the parent worried. Is it possible that enough is not enough? MTV's early slogan was, too much is never enough. It emerged in an era of excess, of over-the-top, and a sense of cultural striving that dominated the zeitgeist of the early 80s. Mary Poppins would disagree, as her enduring wisdom to Jane and Michael Banks after they realized that cleaning the nursery can be fun, and also to us, is that, quote, enough is as good as a feast. I can hear the adult child in the story I related quoting Mary Poppins to the parent. If I experience my happiness as sufficient, then it's not only sufficient, it could not get any more sufficient. With the parent going all MTV in return. But my child, there is more. More adventure. More joie de vivre. More of life to enjoy. And no matter how much you go for, it would still not be enough. To which I can imagine the child responding, Exactly! And so what's the point? If even after striving for excess, I will still feel lacking, why not enjoy what I have? Which does feel enough. On some level, the tug of war is irreconcilable. But I think the Torah weighs in on some aspect of it, including the paradox built into it. Right in the middle of Vayakhel, Now, three parashot ago in Truma, God commands the Israelites to bring trumot, gifts, with which the Mishkan will be built. It's the first capital campaign and has been joked about ever since in synagogues across the world, the most successful one, because it was the only one that brought in more than was required. The Torah says, Shemot chapter 36, verse 7, V'hamlacha hayta dayam l'chol hamlacha l'asot ota the hotel. The mlacha, the work, the efforts to gather all the stuff needed for construction was dayam. It was enough for them, from the word dai, like dayenu. It was enough for all the work they would need to do. The hotel. And it was, or there was, extra. On one hand, we can forgive the Torah's colloquialism, because we might even say in English, there was more than enough. Or, There was enough with stuff left over. And we get the sense. But in the Torah's terse Hebrew, many have wondered what dayam, or enough, is doing in the sentence. Because more than enough subsumes the notion of enough. You don't need to say both. To do so is from the Department of Redundancy Department. So, which was it, Torah? Was it enough? Or was it extraneous? The Or HaChayim, 
Rabbi Chaim ben Attar, an early 18th century Moroccan sage who also ended up in Italy and eventually in the land of Israel, he notes this paradox. And his answer gets into the subjective-objective debate on enoughness that we've been discussing. He posits that to resolve the paradox, we must conjure a miracle. God was so fond of the Israelites and so grateful for and enamored by their generosity that God essentially rendered that which was quantifiably and empirically more than enough into that which was just enough. And why would that be considered a gift to a beloved people? Because if that were not to be the case, the extra donations would sit unused, obviously not needed. How would that make the people feel? What would that do to the next campaign? Every gift needs to be received with grace and used with purpose. When you're a shul board, for instance, and you receive artwork or book donations that you don't really need, you need to find empty walls somewhere or bookshelves or some other way to deal respectfully with the extra you've been given. When you are God, you make a miracle. The Israelites had no idea, really, that too much had been brought. Why? Because even though it was truly hotel or extra, it was also dayam, just enough for them, from their perspective. In the Orachayim's words, it required a miracle for nothing to remain as leftover. So what does this commentary say to us as we consider enoughness? For whose side does it argue, MTV or Mary Poppins? The parent who wants more for their child or the child who experiences reality as sufficient? I think the Orachim seems to say that the subjective experience of sufficiency is most salient, so much so that God engineered, engineered a miracle so that the Israelites would experience just that. And within that is the notion that to experience excess is not only not desirable, it can be deleterious. It can dampen future desire. It can lead to bloatedness of the belly or of the soul. In the case of the burgeoning Israelite society, their experience of having donated more would have perhaps led the next time to their giving less. And if there's one thing I would like to think we can all agree on in this matter, it's that if there is anything we always need more of, it is giving and offering and generosity and being of service. In this realm, MTV is right. Too much is indeed still never enough. The parent that I was speaking to added an interesting tidbit to the situation. In addition to speaking to me, the congregant also called another friend and mentor for counsel. And this person was, as usual, generous on the phone, with time and with wisdom. The congregant really appreciated it. Only later did the congregant realize that that friend had taken that call and dispensed enough, more than enough, empathy and understanding on, and counsel on the day after that friend's son had died. That friend was in despair, experiencing a profound sense of lack and loss, of a world of not nearly enough. 
And still that friend made space for this parent and gave and shared with an open heart. Reflecting upon it, the Karangan was amazed how much this friend had to give, even from a place of lacking so much. Give more. That's always a Jewish notion and a societally crucial notion. Your mother might be upset with you that you ate less, but should always encourage you to give more. Your enoughness, I would argue, is up to you. Your helping people experience their enoughness is never ending and never fully enough. Don't just give more. Give early. A wonderful midrash in the collection called the Tanchuma chastises the Israelite priests for their lackadaisical and haughty approach to giving. The midrash is built on answering the interesting question as to why the priests in this process were the ones who donated very small things, the stones for the Choshen Mishpat, the breastplate of justice that the Kohen Gadol wore. And the story in the midrash is that the priests, that generation's machers, did not immediately respond to God's call for gifts in Truma. Why? Because they were convinced that the effort would fall short, as most fundraising efforts do, and they wanted to be the saviors, the kingmakers, the ones who would swoop in at the end to get that giving thermometer up to the top of the graph. And what happened? Their fellow Israelites gave and continued to give until there was more than was needed necessitating the miracle that the Orachayim imagined. And so there was enough, truly, and no reason for the priests to donate. As my dear friend Rabbi David Ingber puts it, since they didn't leap into giving, they were left out of giving. Almost. They begged Moshe to conjure something. It would be so humiliating to be left off of that donor wall. So Moshe invites them to give the stones. Too much was more than enough, it seemed. So a faux lack had to be imagined in order to give the priests a real sense of satisfaction. At least as the text calls to task the priests for their delayed generosity, it still, in a beautiful way, highlights the human need even among the priests, even when misdirected, even when late, to give. The human recognition that no matter how much you have, there are certainly others who do not have enough. We have just on the modern calendar completed a lugubrious year of lack of enough. Empirically, we have not had enough time together. Not enough people we know who survived or who are emerging from this pandemic unscathed. Not enough kids in school not enough Jewish holidays experienced with friends and family, not enough days without undue stress and worry, not enough headlines with, with good news. And yet, for those of us who are here and are fortunate enough to be alive and well and with our basic needs being met, Perhaps we might position ourselves as the child in that child-parent dyad I described. This world, this reality screaming at us that we lack, how could we not, compared to previous years of our lives? 
At the same time, our trying to eke out of this extended moment the very real and subjective sense that in some important way, this is enough. It has to be, right? Enoughness is something that we end up pursuing too often in a Sisyphean way our whole lives, only to realize that mostly we already had it. And when you do realize that you have enough in terms of what happiness you are getting, it just means that you have a now greater opportunity and obligation to increase the happiness you are giving. However full your belly is, others are less so. However much joy you enjoy, others ache for half of that. You may no longer need to get, because you have enough. So you turn your attention to what you can give. For of that, there is never enough. Shabbat Shalom. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.